Hello everyone and welcome back to Player 456, a Squid Games pod. Um, my name is Colm McMillan and um, as always I'm joined by one of my best friends and co-host Jack Shaw. Jack, how you doing? Yeah, I am. I'm super, mate. Like, we never got very far through this episode. <laughs> in our last episode, so we've got lots and lots to get our teeth into here and I'm, as always, looking forward to it, man. Like I said before, I think I could speak about Squid Game for the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. When we when we covered episode one of the show, it stretched out over three different podcasts, and there was a part of me that thought, okay, it was the opening episode, there's a lot going on, I get that, but I think that's just going to become the norm going forward with the scope to this show and the different things that you're kind of identifying and wanting to talk about, and um, figuring that that's how it's going to be, and I think it, it works quite well, so yeah, I'm very much enjoying it, and we're getting on to almost, let's, let's call it the, the middle part or act two of episode two of Squid Game today and like every other episode in the show there's so much to talk about here and we're going to concentrate a little bit here on what actually goes on once these characters end up back in their normal lives aren't we? Yes we mentioned in previous episodes about foreshadowing and if I had a little bell for this middle part of this episode I would ring it every couple of minutes because the foreshadowing here is really in your face, especially the second time you watch the episode, you you just notice, you go, ding, 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 ding. It's just kind of non-stop. And again, just brilliant storytelling. I've said it before how sweet I really find this, and this is just more depth, slows it down a little bit, and like I mentioned before, negates the need for flashbacks, which are a well-worn path in TV. And they don't use them here because they don't need to. Let's get right into it then. They they drop them back in their, their local neighbourhoods or close to them. Is the I get having them tied up, Jack. Is the fact that they're naked or in their underwear, is that just another little mind game, a, a final slap in the face to these people? Because it seems to me that they don't need to be naked. They could have let them put their clothes on. In a future episode, it shows you them taking their clothes off and putting them in a little box. So they definitely had their clothes and they could have given them back if they wanted to. But yeah, it's just another degrading commentary as well on how you're a piece of dirt if you're in debt or how class affects you and how you get treated, I think. So you're thrown out, clothless, it's freezing cold, you're tied up, you're blindfolded, and Jihoon is dumped basically with Yang Bok, number 67, the pickpocket. Hardly seems like a coincidence, does it, mate? No, definitely not. It's it's basically when he when he wakes up or comes to, right away he's got a reminder of something bad that happened to him in his, his recent life. So, yeah, I, I dare say there's not a... It wasn't a, a chance encounter. They ended up getting dumped off together in the same place. Um, and if we had that bell, it'd be ringing just now, wouldn't it? Yes, because... I always speak a little bit about dubbing versus subtitles because I've watched both here, mate. Jihoon gets dumped. The pickpocket says, look, if I untie you, you're just going to pester me about the money. So why would I untie you? I can't be bothered with that because she's obviously a bit of a criminal. So Jihoon says, ding, ding, ding. I swear on my mother's life. That kind of backfires at a point. The big thing here for me was when I watched it with the subtitles, I think number 67 says, I feel sorry for your mother. But when you're watching it in the dubbing, it's something like, is that all your mother means to you? 
I think those two sentences, while they've got the same vibe to them, come across pretty differently. And it made me ask myself, if you're watching this dubbed or if you're watching it subtitled, are you watching not a completely different TV show, but the way that you think about the characters, is that having a massive impact? Because I think I feel sorry for your mother shows that she has feeling and she feels sorry for the mother, whereas is that all your mother means to you? It's pretty cold as if, is that all she means to you? I think it's different and I don't know how much that impacts on your viewing quality, whether you're watching it dubbed or subbed. Yeah, I, I mean, it definitely, there's definitely a difference between those two statements. And I suppose it'll be interesting to see and probably the fact that we're re-watching and for the most part, we're re-watching the dubbed version so that we can take notes after originally watching. The subtitled version means we might spot some more of these. But yeah, depending on how many kind of different ones like this there are, then it can totally change your mind on certain characters depending on where it comes into it. There's a famous one as well that I've not seen on my rewatch yet. I've not got to it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Where 212, uh, when she's talking to the kind of gangster sort of guy, at one point she calls him Baby on the dubbing but on the subtitles it says daddy <laughs> so right okay that's different man yeah that's very different and it, it kind of that relationship they've got you can almost understand them having that term where she would call him daddy and him liking it i suppose but that only comes out in one one way with the it's either on the dubbing or the subtitles one Um i didn't notice it myself first time obviously but i've read about it so i'm looking forward to seeing it and try to understand a bit more about that when that comes into it as well so there's two examples we know of already and it'll be it'll be cool to find out if there's any others because like you say depending on what sort of the dialogue is it can massively change your opinion on somebody or the, what, they're, what they're saying actually means yeah we don't know a hell of a lot about King Bolt, yeah, she has a North Korean defector basically who enters the game to pay her broker. She's in desperate situation here. We did cover the numerology thing where 67 indicated that they're very interested in family and that those core values basically, but she wants to get her mother across the border as far as I can remember because her brother is sitting in a child's home basically waiting for the mother to, to appear. So she's got her She's got her own issues, basically. Off-piste, um, I think she came fourth or fifth or something in Korea's Next Top Mobile. Nearly 10 years ago, actually, she was in that. So she's obviously had a sort of career path where she wanted to, I don't know if be famous is the right thing, but this show definitely helped. You know, we mentioned her Instagram followers. Yeah. So she's done She's done not bad. She's a pretty girl. You're allowed to say that. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think there's anything bad about me saying that. I'm not being a fucking mis- misogynist by saying she's pretty. So, <laughs> what are your feelings towards 67 at this point? Do you kind of understand that there are mitigating circumstances that have made her a bit of a, a thief and there is a good person in there? Yeah, you 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 kind of you. I don't think many people have all that good feelings for her initially, uh, because she's obviously pickpocketed your main man that you've all kind of taken a bit of a liking to, and you saw the impact losing that money had on him. So you do kind of have it against her a little bit because of that. But like the show does so well with all the characters, as it expands upon her and lets you know more about her background and why she's doing the things she's doing, you start to realise that her need for money is just as grave, if not more than his, so you can kind of see the reason behind it and stuff like that. Initially, you're not so keen on her, 
But right away, as you start to see her backstory, she's one of the first ones that you get to see, you kind of understand it a little bit more and you, you don't feel as bad about her doing it anymore. Because she does eventually untie Jihoon, basically. She, does, she doesn't just leave him, yeah. She just plays him a little bit, doesn't she? Yeah. And that emotional manipulation is something that a lot of the characters are very much into, uh, especially Shang Wu. I can't judge the guy without thinking about what happens in future episodes, but at this very point in time, right, he's orchestrated this coup, basically. He's got people out. He finds himself back in his humdrum life. He's getting tons of texts saying, you owe six billion won. There's a little bit of niceness added to his character here because despite his situation, he still helps out Ali, who is our Squid Game angel. Love him so much. I want him to come back. I'm really crying thinking about it. He's, he's all the memes, all the good memes are Ali memes. All the good memes, like, see when he's just crying, man, it's so fucking <laughs> sad. Right, Sang Wu, he's got this arrest warrant. He at least lends him his phone and gives him some bus fare and stuff like that. So they're trying to show that he's not all bad because characters in TV shows are very rarely black and white. I wasn't sure about that but I did I sort of did sort of interpret that slightly differently in terms of if he's so badly in debt then every single one so to speak or pound should be a prisoner and the fact that he was happy he, he bought him some soup or he bought him some ramen and then he got sort him out with his um, bus bunny and stuff like that I think that kind of leads you down the path that he'd already decided he was going to do what he was going to do he'd given up already and the money didn't matter anymore Right, okay, that makes sense, I suppose, but you've you've got to think, if you're six million pounds in debt, giving a guy a fiver, you're not saving every fiver up, are you? Evidently not, because of the debt he's in, but yeah, you're, that is true as well. And like I say, this show makes you think about everything twice, three times, four times, so it's something as obvious as giving a guy a fiver for a bus ticket and buying him a plate of noodles. And you start to think, ah, oh, he's doing that because of this, he's doing that because of that. He might just be a nice guy. Not only are these scenes building Sang Wu's character, mate, they're indicating how, again, the class difference here with Ali. Like, they've done a really good job of building him up here as well, so they have. They have, because obviously you talked about that little box of possessions that they all kind of got back or they gave in when they got to the games. Ali clearly didn't have a phone. He didn't have a wallet. He didn't have money on him at all and no means to get money or anything like that. Whereas Sangwoo did. Sangwoo, for all intents and purposes or for all kind of appearances point of view, he was doing well, dressed well, had money, had a phone and all that sort of stuff. Is this another commentary on class here basically with Ali that he basically doesn't know where he is and it's the biggest city in Seoul almost? Would you not have a rough idea? Or is Korea such a big place that if he get dropped into the middle of the financial district in London from Glasgow, where we stay, you just wouldn't know where you were? I think the, the thing that's doing here is it's kind of fleshing out Ali a little bit as he is a migrant worker that's came to the country to work. He's potentially, up until this point, done nothing but go from his house to the work, to his house, to the work, to the house, to the work, and not really been about to explore the map or see where anything is or anything. Sangwoo says that uh, here's some good pronunciation I'm sure Uido uh, and Ali asks where that is. Now it is one of the main financial districts in Seoul. The fact that he didn't know that 
just tells you that he's probably barely stepped out the area that he lives or works in. He mentions that he lived in a place called Ansan. And I went on Google Maps, like a, a real loser, Jack, and found out that's right on the outskirts. That's nowhere near real central financial district or anything like that. There's a couple other little bits and pieces with this relationship between the two as well. He refers to Sangwu as boss a couple of times, and Sangwu actually gets uncomfortable and tells him to stop doing it. If you look into the Korean language, certainly compared to English, it's got a very quite different complex system to refer to one another. Ali would call people boss, probably in lots of circumstances, just to avoid any sort of misunderstandings, because he expects, or he's used to basically every person he comes up into contact with, being above him and being more important than him. Um, which is which is quite sad, really, isn't it? Jumping forward again, like, Sangmu says, like, don't call me that, call me Huang, basically, which is, it's basically a definition, like, mate, we would use in Glasgow, like, you're a pretty close friend with, I'd call you mate, you'd call me mate, that's pretty cool. You meet somebody you don't know, you might not call them mate, and it just makes it so much sadder. Like, we've spoke about marbles already a couple of times, that that's Ali's last word, man. It's just so, like, if you're not crying here, you're like Chantal, the robot man. Like, <laughs> when, when, when we get there, we keep foreshadowing it or speaking about it, but it's coming soon, guys, and you have watched it and you know where we're coming from, but it's just the nuance of language, which I suppose, because it's written in Korean, that is something that is probably more key to somebody watching it who's a native speaker, basically. We won't pick up on that unless what we've done is read about it, which is what we do so that you don't need to, basically. And you going on Google Maps isn't sad. That's what you need to do. <laughs> Being a player four, five, six podcast host, mate, that's the sad shit you need to do. I can take, take that to the next level. I did find someone that went on Google Maps and found the island where they shot the show. Um, so there's a video of that on the Twitter. If you want to look at the Twitter, we can show you on Google Maps exactly where the Squid Games are played. And is, that, is it in South Korea? Yeah, is it an island out that way? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty cool, man. Like, did you post that on Twitter? Yeah, I posted <laughs> it on the account, yeah. So you check that out and you'll see that as well. Sticking with Sangwoo, there's an, another scene coming up where I think we both interpreted it slightly differently the first time we watched it, but we were both wrong in our own ways and we both missed stuff. He's in the bath, Jack, and he's got all his clothes on and it's full of water. And the assumption I got at this point was that he was he was trying to kill himself. But you kind of dug into this a little bit and confirmed that, but, some, but in a way that we both missed the first time we watched it, didn't you? Yeah, in Korea, Colin, from what I have read, a lot of people commit suicide, in inverted commas, by burning coal in the room, basically, which sucks all of the air out of the room, and basically you die of carbon monoxide poisoning, which from what I have read, again, it's quite a nice suicide, if you know what I mean. Like, basically, you fall asleep and that is you gone. Like, this just popped into my mind. Is this another commentary on Sang Wu being a bit of a, a shitbag at taking the easy way out? And I do know that that is not what suicide is. But we've both had our, our issues with mental health. That's not what I mean. But as a way of suicide, it's a, you go to sleep, it's nice, it's easy. Is it just another sort of micro-comment, basically, on his psyche? Yeah, I think the point to make is that of all the ways to kill himself, he's chosen an easier way to do it than slashing his wrists and bleeding out or shooting himself in the head or something like that. So, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. 
Yeah, I think it probably is that he. It, it does tell you a little bit more about him that he is going to choose to do this horrible thing to himself, but he's going to choose the kind of nicest way to do it in a bath and to just kind of drift off. Um, I watching this the first time, I thought he was committing suicide, but I didn't see the charcoal briquette burning in the scene until the second time that I watched it. I saw the smoke in the room and just assumed it was steam coming from the hot bath water. But yeah, that's I mean that's exactly what he's doing. He's in the bath soaking wet about to die. And if we had that bell, it would be ringing again, Jack, just now, because we see him obviously in the bathtub trying to kill himself soaking wet. And flash forward to episode eight, I think it is. He kills himself uh, while the rain pours down and he's soaking wet, dying at that point as well. Yeah, especially the... South Korean version of the hosepipe in the garage with your car, I think. That is exactly, it's, it's the same thing, isn't it? Basically, yeah, it's carbon monoxide poisoning, yeah, it's the same thing, mate, yeah. It kind of cuts to Ali's story, so we know that he's a migrant worker, he's struggling. Cuts to his story, turns out he kind of works in a, what we would think is a slave labour type factory. His boss is a bit sleazy refuses to give him any money, even though he's got a big envelope full of money in front of him. He's very sleazy. He's saying, oh, I'm, I'm not well myself. This is the first time that I noticed Ali's fingers. Had you noticed this before, that he's only got two fingers, I think? Yeah, he's, I think he's missing his, he's missing his pinky and then the next one. Yeah, so he's got two fingers and a thumb. Yeah, um, he he mentions that I've, lo- I've lost parts of my body due to, this, due to this job and you won't pay me. And he holds his hand up, and that was the first time I'd realised that as well. And I think that's probably deliberate, because it's probably the most impactful time to see it, when you see one of the reasons why he's doing this horrible job just to survive as a migrant worker. These bastards, because there's no one a better word, aren't even paying him for the job he's doing. And he's actually, the job is so bad and so risky, he's losing limbs because of it. And this bastard still won't pay him. And this does eventually lead to the two of them having a fight on the kind of factory floor. And another accident happens, and the boss ends up with his hand crushed in a machine this time, similar to what potentially happened to Ali. He drops the envelope, and probably the only the only thing that Ali's ever done in the whole the whole series that's not beautiful, <laughs> he just picks up and runs away, um, and gives his wife basically the money. So he totally redemptions redemptions himself right away because MDL straight to the casino or away to the pub or whatever. He's not his wife. Here's the money. Buy a plane ticket. Get out of here. I'll join you as soon as I can. He's just a prince. He is. He's an absolute prince. There's more. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, there's foreshadowing here. He's stealing money from his employers. And then the cruelest twist of fate I've ever watched in a television show. He loses his marbles. His marbles get stolen at a point and that leads to his death. So, again, more foreshadowing. What about synchronicity? Um, which is a word that I either struggle to say or just make up, Colin. I don't even know if that's close. I think we both we both do that with a couple of words, don't worry. Um, we'll just blame it on the Scottish accents if anybody ever says anything. Yeah, so there's that mirror image of his boss with no fingers, probably in the same accident that Ali had. The same thing, yeah. Um, which is it's, it's an appalling state of affairs for their health and safety record. <laughs> they haven't made any suitable and adaptive changes since Ali's accident <laughs> that it can still happen this time with the boss. But... Yeah, I think as well, what a nice wee part about this this scene as well, Jack, was when Ali appeared back, the other workers all seemed really happy to see him, which further leads to that kind of suggestion that he's just such a lovely guy and people like him. Um, it, it wasn't like, 
Ali, where have you been? It's Ali, you're back. And they were all smiling and stuff like that. So I liked that part as well. They didn't particularly chase him after they ran away with the money. It was like, right, okay. They did not. He's lost his fingers and he's just <laughs> like, come back and then don't even bother chasing him. So yeah, it kind of shows him in a, a decent light with his, his other workers who are in the same situation probably. He doesn't pay anybody. This sleazebag boss by the sounds of it. You mentioned something here about the sort of bleakness about Korea, sort of the way it's portrayed at, at some points. And I think this is key here as well. This is something that you, you, you've seen little parts of so far and shown you what these people are up to in their real lives. But you see more of it as the, as the episode goes on. And it's something I wasn't really aware of until I started watching Korean stuff like this, like Parasite. And, and rightly or wrongly, you just kind of assume that the same way that probably people that aren't in the UK just think everything, everything in the UK is like London, whereas it's not. And you just make the assumption that Korea is a big financial district. It's quite futuristic, really cool, big buildings and skyscrapers and stuff like that. Whereas the reality is that when you look at it, it just always looks pretty bleak and pretty grim. It, it's always cold. It's always raining. There's, there's electricity and there's, there's streetlights. There's always just bare wires hanging out and... It just looks like a really dilapidated, old, far from modern, striving community. So if you know what I mean, it's it just doesn't look great. And I suppose that's part of the shows that I've watched or the films that I've watched. That makes sense for the setting. But they just make it look so grim and they film it so well. It's fantastic. And it does open up people like me that are a bit ignorant to what Korea is actually all about. It, it does really, really bring it to life for you. Yeah, I think another character building point here is Ji-hoon goes to the police. Again, what you think a normal, decent person would do, you've been kidnapped, people have been murdered, you go to the police, that's what you do. He's not got a criminal activity, like his debt here is through stupidity or gambling, basically, whereas 90% of the other people you're kind of thinking couldn't go to the police because they are criminals or whatever, but he goes there, they think he's a little bit He's a little bit crazy. He's got the Squid Game card. They end up phoning the number. It goes through to a woman. Pretty well-worn trope that it's not what you expect it to be. But we kind of meet the police officer who comes in. Now, my, my first thought here was, do you remember the first two guys that went into the Squid Game? There's a wee blonde-haired guy. And then there's the guy who's pretty vain. So there's a blonde-haired guy and then his friend. Yeah. I thought his friend looked very much like this police officer and I kind of thought when he's talking about his brother later on which we'll get to that that's who it was but it's not so we can we kind of meet this guy we get back to Sang Sung Dong which is where Ji Hun lives basically hooks back up with Sang Wu and this is when he sort of admits that not only is he in debt but he's used his mother's house and shop as collateral again just in our commentary on how cutthroat and horrible these bankers and futures traders can be, I think. Yeah, I think he also had the the shame of the impact this was going to have on his mother. They just couldn't face her. He phones her just before this scene and talks to her, making out that he's in America. And then you also have the scene where his mother's talking to somebody in the shop about how great her son is and what a wonderful life he's having, how much money he's making and what a good catch he'll be for a woman. And the customer actually says to the question, so is, is he not attached yet? And the mother actually looks at the woman and says, yes, but he's 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 very picky. I mean, I, I'm not sure you would know. And she gets caught off a little bit by two policemen that arrive and suddenly break the news to her at this point. 
about her son. So he's really, really done a, done a turn on his mother at this point as well. Yeah, there seems to be a lack of respect, basically, for mothers in, well, especially this little part of career, basically, because Jihan doesn't realise that his mother's got diabetes, basically, and she's in danger of losing her feet. Again, this is just pushing home the, the theme of just being in a hell where you just don't really understand. But I don't know if this is a another slight commentary by the director about looking after family, trying to stay on top of how your mother is keeping her and things like that. I'm not 100% sure if that gets any deeper. But again, this hell is the name of the episode and it's just a personal thing that all these people are going through. They're all going through their own personal hell and a lot of it is of their own making. That's it, but it's they're, 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 they're also the people around them are also now going through hell as well because of their actions. We've just mentioned uh, Sangwoo's mother and the hell that she's now going through now that she's fully aware of the situation. And now you've got um, Jihan's mother who has got diabetes, which is so bad she's potentially going to lose her feet. She can't stay in hospital because she can't afford the hospital bills or the medical bills. And the reason for that is because Jihan cancelled the medical insurance because it was too expensive and he used the money for it to go out and gamble. So not only is their life held, they're actually impacting the people around them at this point, and you're seeing that they're also causing issues, not just for themselves, but for the people that should matter the most to them. That This theme of hell persists again with 67, the pickpocket. She ends up speaking to a human trafficker, I think, basically, and he wants to try and take the piss out of her for more money, but she's not taking it. This is when she is shown to have a real little cutthroat hard side because she does get the knife out burn this ding, guy's ding, face ding, ding. yes much more foreshadowing here uh, threatens this guy holding a knife to his throat how does she die it involves a knife basically we'll get there again more foreshadowing this is slightly different I suppose because this isn't particularly of her own doing she just wants to get out of North Korea and has paid the money so you are starting to feel sorry towards uh, 67 here I think yeah and I think that's what that's what happens as the show goes on I mean everybody loves Jihan everybody loves Ali but people do warm to her as well because they understand that she's actually in a situation where she needs money to do something that's actually very very good and to get herself out of a situation which is not really her fault she just happened to be born on the wrong side of the border and she wants a better life for her family um, and she's been forced to do it this way because there's no other option for her. Um, so people do want to and she becomes one of the most popular characters, I think, and that's one of the reasons. Yeah, before we wrap it up, we'll get to some questions, queries and theories. Questions, queries, theories. We kind of covered this, actually. Robin has asked... I-456ers, just before we get to your part of the show, we would like to let you know that we also do a show called Wrong Term Memory, where we cover some true crime, some 90s pop culture, a little bit of history, some science, a whole range of things, really. Yeah, so if you enjoy listening to us, and not just listening to us talking about Squid Game, then just search in your podcast app of choice for Wrong Term Memory, or visit our website at wrongtermmemory.com. If you don't fancy doing that, you can offer your support for Player 456 by leaving a review or rating. Now, on with the show. Do you feel Sangwoo's gesture to Ali was enough to change your mind about his character? 
right now, I thought, yeah, this guy's actually not bad. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I, I, I still kind of thought, I did think, listen, he's got so much debt that he's just given up at this point. But then you made a really good point that if he owes six billion, he can aff- what's the difference between buying somebody a, a couple of, a couple of noodles and a train ticket or a bus ticket? So yeah, I was glad that someone was nice to Ali, and no matter who it was, I would have felt a little bit better about that person because they were being nice to Ali. Yeah, so to quickly round up where we are, we're not finished this episode yet. We will be back soon with part three, but hell basically forces the players to confront their own realities here without using flashbacks, which again I just think is brilliant direction storytelling. It basically kind of elevates the show from like the basic premise of murder show, like The Running Man or Battle Royale. It puts it above that. It's got commentary on capitalism, modern day economic injustice, X, Y, and Z. So there's lots and lots of nuance to this show. And I think Hell has slowed it down a little and just sort of hit the nail right in the head here, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think episode two over the whole piece is a very, very important one. And I'd probably say it's in my top three episodes of the nine for those reasons. Because of the way that episode one finished with that brutality, it would have been really easy for episode two just to start and it's Squid Game number two, and it's more horror, and it's worse, and there's death and everything else. It doesn't. It starts with, like we talked about, the horror of the coffins, just to remind you. But then it quickly changed pace, and it showed you the horror of these people's real lives. And it really just brought the whole show together to show you why these people are in the situation they're in, why, when given the chance to get away from this situation, they all come running back to it. It's really, really well told, and... I loved it. It's so good. Even if they listen to this podcast, the fact that I get to watch these episodes back and then talk about it with you makes it all worthwhile. But the fact that folk are listening is even better. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll speak to you soon, guys. Cheers. <laughs>